0: Let us now read the word of God as we find it in the New Testament, in the Gospel according to John and chapter 1, and taking our reading up at verse 29. John 1 and verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptising with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptise with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have heard the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. <coughs> Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, or you were under the fig tree I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. May the Lord bless to us the reading of that portion of his word. We shall now sing from Psalm 40. Psalm 40 at verse 5. O Lord my God, full many are the wonders thou hast done. Thy gracious laws to us what far above all thoughts are gone. In order none can reckon them to thee if them declare and speak of them I would do more than can be numbered out. No sacrifice, nor offering, didst thou at all desire? mine ears thou board, and offering thou unbunded, it's not required. Then to the Lord, these were my words, I come, behold, and see, within the volume of the book, it written is of me. To do thy will I take delight, O thou my God that art, yea, that most holy love thine I have within my heart. We shall sing these verses the lord's praise psalm 40 verse 5 to 8. o lord my god full many are the wonders thou hast
1: done
0: Scripture that we read in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, and chapter 1, I will read verse 9, 29. <clears throat> the next day he saw Jesus coming toward to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was sent by God as a prophet. In fact, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he was sent as the herald of Christ. He was to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of Jesus Christ, their Messiah. In the olden times, we are told that when kings travelled, they would send heralds before them to announce their coming and to prepare the way uh, for them. Sometimes these heralds were so well-dressed that many thought they were the king himself. When he told that he was not the king, but that he had come to sound the trumpet and prepare the way for the coming of the king, many wondered if the herald was so well-dressed what the king must be like. But in the case of John the Baptist. He did not come well dressed and with the finest of clothes, but clothed in a garment of camel's hair with a leather girdle about his loins, and his foot was locust and wild honey. He was later on himself to say regarding Jesus that Jesus must increase and that he must decrease. Maybe in his clothing, John the Baptist, as a herald of Christ, was giving a hint regarding the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the herald was so clothed, what about the king? Well, in announcing the coming of Christ, John the Baptist called the people to repentance and faith and insisted that this was to be seen and made manifest in our formation of their lives. And when Jesus finally appeared, here we find that John announced him in the words of our text, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We may consider it strange that Jesus is likened to and identified uh, with an animal. Here and in other places throughout scripture, he is often likened to a lamb. We also see him that he is likened to a lion. For instance, in the book of Revelation, he is said to be the lion, of the tribe of Judah. As we shall see that Jesus being identified as a lamb brings before us certain characteristics that belongs to his person but especially his sacrificial work and has been identified as the line of the tribe of Judah brings before us his sovereignty and his kingship. There are three great truths that are contained within our text this morning. It tells us of the identity of Christ. Who is Christ? He is the Lamb of God. It tells us the work of Christ. He is to take away the sin of the world, that's his mission. And it tells us of our privilege and of our responsibilities, that is, that we are to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To the Jewish mind and society in which these words were first spoken, such a statement has tremendous significance. Much more than when we uh, uh, repeat these words in our own day. In the days of Jesus, when these words were first spoken, they had a tremendous, tremendous significance. Lambs played such an important role, not only in the economy of those days, but also in their religious life to which the Old Testament bears witness, which is filled with reference to lambs. So what would occur in the minds of the Jewish people as John the Baptist called out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What kind of images and ideas would arise in their minds when a person was called the Lamb of God. How would they understand such a statement? Well, as we've already said, lambs had a tremendous religious significance in the Jewish mind because they were constantly used in their worship. Their main annual feast that we mentioned to the children called the Passover, bore witness to the importance of the Lamb, as it was through the shedding and sprinkling of the blood of the Lamb that their fathers were set free from the last plague and set free from the bondage and from the slavery of Egypt, a feast that they were commanded constantly to keep the Passover feast. But before Egypt, Adam was taught the importance of sacrifice which was instituted in the Garden of Eden by God himself. When God clothed Adam and his wife Eve with skins which we believe came from a sacrifice. And this was before man was expelled from the Garden. A lesson that which Adam passed on to his family, to his sons. As we read there in Genesis 4, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. In the very garden our first parents were taught, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So that the sacrifices uh, were instituted in the Garden of Eden by God himself. And the sacrifices were accepted by God. And God only accepts what he constitutes himself. So if God accepted sacrifices then there was something that was constituted or instituted by God himself. We also read in the, the Old Testament that Abraham was tested by his faith, for his faith, and he was asked to offer up his son Isaac. And you remember as they they went and as they traveled up the mount, Mount Moriah, that Isaac asked his father a question. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham answered him, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And we can say that down through the centuries, the question was being asked, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And here is John the Baptist, and he gives an answer to that ancient question that was asked by Isaac, where is the lamb? For a burnt offering. The fulfilment of his father's answer. God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. here is John the Baptist. And he's answering that question. And he's pointing to the fulfilment of the answer that Abraham gave to his son. He gives an answer to that question in these words that we have. Behold the Lamb of God. The answer is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John was declaring that this person was God's provision, appointed by him in the covenant of redemption to redeem a people and that he came into the world on the purpose that he might save his people from their sins, that he might redeem a people to Himself. And that is the very heart of the gospel message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, when we come to think of lambs or a lamb, in general we recognise that they are harmless, innocent and submissive. And all these characteristics are true of Jesus. He is harmless, innocent and submissive. He never harmed anyone. He was a friend of children. He was a friend of publicans, or the tax collectors. He was the friend of sinners. And this often proved to be the greatest criticism that the Jews could accuse him of. He was innocent of any sin, for he knew no sin by experience. He was sinless. He was submissive to the will of his Father. In the words of Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. In the intensity of agony of the Garden of Gethsemane, his words was, not as I will, but as you will. In the very act of dismissing his spirit at Golgotha, he said to the Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And earlier he had said to his disciples, No one takes it from from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. But beyond these natural characteristics of the Lamb, the Lamb had another, as we already noted, religious significance in the mind of the Jew. The lamb was their main sacrifice. The lamb was their main sacrifice in their approach to God. Twice a day, they sacrificed a lamb as a burnt offering, as the morning and as the evening sacrifice. Lambs were constantly used as a sacrifice. A man would pick out from his flock a lamb that was without spot or blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb. And he would bring it to the priest in order for it to be offered upon the altar in the outer court to make atonement for him. A lamb without blemish, a male lamb, a perfect lamb. And the man would place his hands on the head of the lamb, thus symbolically transferring his sin and guilt to the lamb. And, the, and, and also, this had to be done in order for the person to receive the benefits of the atonement. And as a result, the lamb was killed. The lamb was killed in the place of the person. The Jews well understood that the wages of sin is death and that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. They knew that as a consequence of sin, that death was inevitable as a payment for the penalty of sin. Either the person that sinned must die, or a substitute must die in their place. So the lamb became the substitute. And this was in the mindset of the Jews. The lamb was a substitute. The lamb suffered what I deserved. The lamb has become my substitute. Now, these animal sacrifices, they were only temporary. They were inadequate substitutes. The writer to the Hebrew comments for us, and he says... For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, and the same true of lambs, to take away sins. They prefigured what is true of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. They were a shadow of good things to come. They were pictures for us of good things to come. They were a prefigurement of what was yet to come. A prefigurement of what was true of the Lord Jesus. He was sinless. But the sins and guilt of his people, that is, all those who will put their trust in Christ, they were laid upon him. So he died as a substitute of his people. The great question today for me and you is, do we know him as our substitute? Do we know the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, as our substitute. Was he at Golgotha in our place? Was he on the cross in our place? Did he suffer for what my sins deserved? In the first letter of John chapter 3 we read you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. He could never have taken away the sins of others if he had sins of his own. Only God could provide a sinless man who had the purity to be an adequate substitute for sinners. He did so. And how did he do so? He did so by sending and delivering up his own son, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God had a mission to accomplish. He was to take away the sins of the world. The world here means both Jew and Gentiles. That's what the word world here means, both Jew and Gentiles. Salvation was for Jews and Gentiles. He came to save out of every kindred, out of every tribe, out of every tongue and nation. He came to save people of every kind. He came to save the harlot, the publican, the tax collector, the beggar, and the religious. The world, and if you are part of the world, and you are, you may have hope for the taking away of what your sins deserve. If you come by repentance and faith, and behold the Lamb of God. Jesus is to be looked upon as the only hope for our salvation. He came into this world. He was sent by the Father and he came into this world and he came to take away sin of what our sins deserve. He did not come to take away poverty. He did not come to take away pain. He did not come to take away sickness. He did not come to take away sorrow. But he came to take away something that lies beneath all of those things. Poverty, sickness, sorrow and so on. He came to take away something that's beneath all of these things, namely sin. Sin is the central problem of mankind. Sin has caused all our misery. It is the cause of our poverty. It is the cause of our pain. Of our sorrow. And eventually death. The Catechism answers to the question, what is the misery of that estate when in man fell? And he answers, all mankind by the fall lost communion with God are under his wrath and curse And so, made liable to all miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Well, what is such a man to do? How can the consequences and punishment of our sins be taken away? Well, John here directs us and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. The sin of the world. He takes away the sin of the world. How? Well, in First Peter we read, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The prophet Isaiah says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the guilt and punishment of our sins were imputed or were reckoned or were put against Christ. He stood in our place and he bore what our sins deserved. That is, if we have put our trust in him or our faith in him. For such a person he stood in their place and he bore what their sins deserved. The just and sinless Lamb of God bore God's wrath and curse against our sins. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. That is, he became the sin bearer and offering for our sin. There was no other way Whereby our sins could be taken away, except by laying it on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by God manifest in the flesh. Not only was our sin laid upon him, but he took him away. He made with the consequences of our sin. He made with what our sins deserved, and he took that away. He took it away. Where did he take it? Well, Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Nor in Micah, chapter 7, we read, "You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Jesus on Golgotha took the sin of all believers away so completely that they sank into the bottom of the sea. God has cast all the sin of believers behind his back, and they shall not be mentioned against them anymore forever. They will not be brought up again in order to condemn the believer. They have been cast into the depth of the sea and in heaven There is no more sea. So they cannot be brought up from the sea. They cannot be brought up in a place where there is no more sea. They cannot be brought up again to condemn the believer. He took away their guilt and punished it. In Isaiah 53 we read, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. No longer can, can uh, God condemn the believer. The Lamb of God. takes away the sin of the world. No longer can God condemn his people as sinners. Because he condemned his own son for their sin. And as the Lamb of God not only takes away sin, which was ours, which was our filthy rags, which was our filthy garments of of guilt and sin, not only does he take away what was ours, but he gives us what belonged to him. He gives us his garment of righteousness that he has worked out in his work on the cross of Golgotha. He gives us his righteousness while we gave him our sin, or rather, God took our sins and laid it upon him and reckoned them to him. And the thing is this, that he did not refuse to take them. He did not refuse to take them. He did not refuse to meet with the what our sins deserved, but he took those that he took it voluntarily and he took it willingly, knowing full well what this meant for him. When God reckoned our sins of what our sins deserved upon him, he took that voluntarily and willingly, knowing full well what it meant for him. And as a result, God declares us righteous in his sight as persons who are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. This is illustrated to us in Zechariah chapter 3, where we read regarding Joshua the high priest. you have these words. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Our filthy rags of guilt and sin, of what our sins deserve, taken away from us, and we have been clothed with pure vestments, with the pure righteousness of Christ. He has dealt completely with our sin he cried out, it is finished. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sat down, which is a symbol of completeness. The high priest in Israel was not allowed to sit down. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us, he sees every priest dance daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who have been sanctified, those who have been set apart. The prophets who lived a long time before the coming of Christ bore through witness to Christ as the Lamb of God, according to the light that they had. Jesus said to the Jews on the own day, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. He bore witness to the Lamb of God. God will provide for himself a Lamb for a burnt offering. You can ask, how did Abraham see it? How did the prophets of the Old Testament see the Lamb of God? In fact, we can ask, how did John the Baptist see him? It is true to say that John the Baptist and others that were there on that day saw Jesus with their physical eyes. But there had to be something more for John. Than just the physical sight of Christ. There had to be something much deeper before he could cry, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There had to be something much deeper than the physical sight of Jesus. While well, John and all the prophets and all of God's people throughout the Old Testament, and also through of New Testament believers, down to this day. That we must see Christ by faith we must see Christ by faith all the prophets including John the Baptist saw Christ by faith and as John now actually looked upon him and bore witness to him so you and I must see him not without physical eyes the other side of which is reserved for us uh, until our resurrection, uh, when we will look upon him with our eyes. Our, our eyes will behold him, and not the eyes of another sage job. He was looking for that day. He was looking for that day. But that's reserved for us. That physical sight of seeing Christ is reserved for us until that day that he has appointed, and until the day of our resurrection. But now we can see it with the eyes of our mind and heart in the exercise of faith. We can see it. It is this sight of Jesus by faith that will bring salvation to us. It is this sight of Jesus by faith which shall bring us to salvation to truly see Jesus as the Lamb of God which who takes away the sin of the world. Mary, his mother, who gave him birth And who nursed him had to receive the sight of her son for her salvation. Her physical beholding of him would not secure her her salvation. It would not secure her salvation. She saw him, she nursed him, she fed him, she washed him, she taught him, she clothed him. But that would not secure her salvation. She had to receive him by faith, by the sight of faith. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, have you seen Christ? Do you know you know about him and you have heard of him, but have you truly seen him? For those who have truly seen him can say with the Psalmist, you are the fairer than this you are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. John directs his ears to do something in reference to the Lamb of God. And he says that we are to behold him. The word behold here means more than just glance at him. It means to focus upon him. To focus upon him. To focus upon him with our entire mind and thought and heart and will. To look upon him in faith, in belief, in trust. To become dependent upon him as the Lamb of God who can take away what my sins deserve and who can reconcile me to God so that I can peace with God that I can be restored back again into fellowship and communion with God. John exhales us to make the Lamb, the Lamb of God, our object of faith and trust. In the Old Testament, there is a story of those who were bitten by the fiery serpents in the wilderness and uh, they were uh, told that uh, and many of them died, and Moses was commanded to make up a serpent of brass and to put it upon a pole. And all those who were bitten by the fiery serpents, if they looked at the serpent of brass that was upon the pole, they were cured. And Jesus thinks of that time in the wilderness, and he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In other words, whoever looks to him, who focuses upon him in faith, in belief and trust, will have eternal life. The prophet said, look unto him, that be ye saved. All ye ends of the earth, look and live. Look and live. You need to look to Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. You need to look to Jesus for deliverance from guilt. You need to look to Jesus for acceptance with God. You need to look to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world for entrance into eternal life, for entrance into heaven. Our great difficulty is To get a rise of ourselves and of our own works, and to look alone to Jesus and what He has done, it is so difficult for us to get away from depending, even in the smallest way, upon our own good works, and to look and depend entirely to the finished work of Jesus Christ at Golgotha. Well. We need to take our eyes of everything and look to him alone for only with him is there salvation. Only looking to him in faith and in trust is there salvation. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved but by the name of Jesus. Remember what the angel said to Joseph? Thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. True faith looks away from self, it looks away from works and from feelings. True faith looks exclusively to Christ as the chief object, as the chief object of our trust, as the chief object of our. If we return briefly for a moment to the question asked by Isaac, Where is the Lamb, Prabhupada, Dufri? And as we saw, John the Baptist gives an answer to that question in the person who is approaching him when he says, Behold the Lamb of God. But we still ask the question, and today we ask the question, Where is the Lamb? Where is the Lamb? Well, John the Baptist points us to the Lamb. He says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. But there is a sense in which today we can ask also, where is the Lamb? Where is the Lamb? We found the Lamb prefigured in the sacrifices of the Old Testament. We found the Lamb on Golgotha. We found the Lamb on the cross but where is the lamb today? Where is the lamb? Well, another John, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, he tells us, he saw a vision, and he says, and between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain. The lamb that walked among men, the Lamb that was crucified on Golgotha, the Lamb that was buried, the Lamb that rose again, the Lamb that ascended, is now the Lamb in glory. The Lamb in glory. Often God's people are referred to as sheep in the Bible, and Christ as their Shepherd. And we'll look at that in the evening. But I cannot but think that his identification as a lamb has a reference to the fact that he took the nature of the flock that he came to save to himself. No shepherd here can do that, to take the nature of the sheep to themselves. But this shepherd, this lamb, came and he took our nature, our human nature, to himself. And the thing is this, he did not discard it as he ascended to the Father, but he took it to the very throne room of God. And he now appears in heaven for us, in that very nature that he took to himself. He is still the Lamb of God. Where is the Lamb? The Lamb is in glory. But the Lamb is coming back. He's coming back, this time not as a sacrifice for sin, but he's coming back as the glorious lamb. And he's coming back to receive his soul. In the book of Revelation again we read, Let us rejoice and give him the glory, for the marriage of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. The invitation goes out today in the Gospel. The invitation that is exhorting you to come and to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To put your faith and your trust in the Lamb of God. The Lamb that can deal with your sin. All the lambs of the Old Testament, gallons upon gallons upon gallons of blood were shed. He couldn't take away sin. It was a prefigurement of the true Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who could take away We look to him at the very beginning of our Christian life as the Lamb of God. And today we still look upon him as the Lamb of God. For here, as we are exhorted to do always to look into Jesus. And we shall be looking to him in heaven and under the same character. We shall not have to change our thought we shall still see him as a lamb that has been slain for our sins. Beginning the Christian life, looking to the lamb, continuously through the Christian life, looking to the lamb, and even in glory in heaven, we shall look to him as the lamb. But we shall see him as a lamb by faith. Here we see him, rather, here we see him by faith. But then in heaven we shall behold him by sight. Here we see him by faith. But there is something that we're anticipating that we're looking forward to, and that is to see the Lamb by sight. By sight. And to be sitting with him at his marriage supper. Today look to him and see in Jesus the perfect provision by the grace of God to take away your sin and to reconcile you to God. Cast yourself entirely upon him. Believe in him and trust in him. Rest upon him and receive him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Follow him. Abide with him. And witness for him. As we look forward To that day, as we eagerly wait for the Saviour's return, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able, even to subdue all things to himself. Waiting with anticipation, with eagerness, to the day that we shall look upon him with our own eyes and not with the eyes of another. And when we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. the Lord bless our thoughts. It is eternal and ever-blessed God, We pray that thou would bless our meditation upon thy word today, that it would be a means of strengthening our faith and encouraging us in our wilderness journey looking for the Lamb's return in his glory, and when we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. May we have that living hope, and may it be a means of strengthening us and encouraging us as we journey through the wilderness of this world. We ask all these things for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, Amen. We shall conclude by singing to the Lord's praise from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 at verse 30. The name of God I with a song most cheerfully will praise, and I in giving thanks to him his name shall highly raise. This to the Lord a sacrifice more gracious and true than bullock or any beast that hath both horn and hoof. When this the humble men shall see, a joy to them shall give. O all ye that do seek the Lord, your hearts shall ever live. We shall sing these three verses to the Lord's praise. And from Psalm 69, verse 30 to 32. The name of God I will have sung most cheerfully will praise.
1: The name of God.
0: fellowship of the Holy Spirit.